and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And I know that there are some people who think you can't be that arrogant, you can't state so categorically that a scripture means a certain thing. And I'm going to say it's not arrogant at all, that's how truth works. The Bible is pretty clear that God calls people for specific purposes. Those he calls, he often gives specific tasks and then equips them for those tasks. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was one man called by God from a young age and placed exactly where God needed him to be. Even someone who is called needs courage to continue in their role. Tonight, Dr. Corbett turns again to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah to understand the call of God. Father, as we open your word and we look into the book of the prophet Jeremiah, I pray that our hearts would be stirred, that you would have your way in us, that as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we would see that which has always been there, yet we have missed. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Jeremiah, please. Chapter 1. We're going to be reading in a moment the first 10 verses or so, and then jumping into verse 15 or so. This is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. One of the reasons that I've taken so long to go through this book is because every major doctrine of scripture is dealt with in Jeremiah. Also, Jeremiah as a character in the Old Testament is someone who bears at least 12 similarities to Christ. You might recall that when Jesus said to his disciples and asked them, who do men say that I am? The second person they named was Jeremiah. People think you are Jeremiah. And so the question is, why do they think that? What was it about Jeremiah that the people thought Jesus reflected? And then I guess the other way around. What is it about Jeremiah that actually reflects Christ? And in my pursuit to know Christ more, here is one way I can satisfy satisfy that pursuit by coming to know Jeremiah a bit better. And that's what we've been doing. We've seen Jeremiah called from a very young age who at times did not want to fulfill the call of God on his life. And yet he says, every time I tried to keep it in, it was as if fire was burning in my bones and I couldn't help but speak. It came out because I couldn't contain it. So now as we're looking at the major themes of Jeremiah, we're into the fourth of those major themes and that is the call of God. The call of God. It's something that is assumed through the book, as we'll see in a moment. It's something which is clearly stated in the opening verses of the book. And it's something that was a part of the culture that that sometimes there there are things not said or stated in Scripture because the the writers assume that you know it. Now, I need to make a, a, a pretty important point here. When we approach Scripture, we approach Scripture as if it was inspired by God for us. So God has inspired this for us. But but you may have heard me say this before, and I think it's an important point. Most, no, sorry, nearly all, if not all, of Scripture is not written to us. It's written for us. Now, why is that an important distinction? Because it determines how you deal with the Scriptures. Because if you think scripture is written to you, you will find certain hidden meanings that only mean something to you. When in fact, God never intended that. He never put that in there. When the prophets of the Old Testament and particularly 
uh, Isaiah and uh, uh, Daniel had prophesied to the Jewish people, this is when Messiah will come. They gave, like Daniel particularly gave, from the rebuilding of the wall, you can set the clock. And they did. And around about that time, Jesus was born and the Jews rejected him as the Messiah. And now they had a problem. What do we do with the passages that state clearly the birthplace, the identity, the timing of the arrival of the Messiah? So what they did, they began to develop this idea that scripture had multiple layers of meaning and interpretation needed to understand that meaning. This was called the allegorical method of understanding scripture. So you take things that are plain, reasonably plain in Scripture and you make them mean other things than other, other than what they were plainly intended to mean. So I'm going to suggest to you that is a very, very, very dangerous way to read your Bible because you can just about make it mean anything if it doesn't mean anything in particular. So our pursuit today is always to find what is this saying what did it mean to them because whatever it meant to them is what it still means today and then we're going to do one more thing we're going to ask the question so what how does it apply to me now that can have multiple answers so while scripture has an intended meaning and this is where i think we need to be discerning that we read a verse of scripture or a passage in scripture and i'll 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 I had a conversation with someone before the service and they said that um, a well-known Christian author had written a paperback book on something or other and, and, and they were questioning me about it and said, is that right? I've never heard that interpretation before. And as he shared with me what it meant and essentially it was uh, the idea that Jesus said, behold, I make all things new, um, that whatever you've lost, you will get back uh, a new one of because Jesus said he'll make all things new. Now, is that true? Is that what Jesus meant when he said that? So if, if you could imagine all the things that we've lost over the years or one reason or another. Is that what Jesus meant? And that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. What did the original speaker or author intend to mean? Because whatever the answer to that question is, that's what it still means. That's what it still means. That's why in leading a Bible study group, and I lead a Bible study group, and we have other Bible study group leaders, and, I, and I, hopefully I've taught them and trained them, that we don't ask the question, what do you think this means? Because quite frankly, I don't care what you think it means. The better question is, what does it mean? Well, I think it means this. Well, I think it means this. And suddenly you've got 12 different ideas on what people think it means. The question is, what does it mean? And I know that there are some people who think you can't be that arrogant. You can't state so categorically that a scripture means a certain thing. And I'm going to say it's not arrogant at all. That's how truth works. Truth doesn't present you with a multiple choice. Truth means something. So come with me now. We're going back, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. And Anathoth, if you, if you have your Bible map, you'll see is in the old language about two miles outside of Jerusalem. So what's that, about three k's or so. So not far out from the city of Jerusalem. And there's a reason for that. These priests had to serve in the temple. They couldn't live too far away. So we'll come back to some of the details in that verse in a moment. To whom 
the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the king of the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. And verse three. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, by the way, what we've just seen there is Jeremiah giving an overview of the entire book. This is common Hebrew practice to give you the headings and then to go into detail. You see the same sort of thing in Genesis chapter 1. You get the big picture headings. And then Genesis chapter 2 will go into some detail about things that it's already given the heading to. Verse 4, Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Here's verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, So you were in the womb, but not formed, A great statement of when a person has value as a person. Answer, from the moment of conception. I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, You shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And from the opening clip where we saw Jeremiah lowered into the cistern, the cesspool cistern, I wonder if he recalled that verse, that statement by the Lord spoken when he was probably 12 or 13 years of age don't be afraid of them i'll deliver you verse 9 then the lord put out his hand and touched my mouth and the lord said to me behold i have put my words in your mouth see i have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant so here we see the the introduction to jeremiah and clearly he's he's called god has called him he hasn't just woken up and said i think i'd be a prophet today i think i'd like to be a prophet in fact we see jeremiah's response to god's call is that he was very reluctant to receive it but this is what we notice about the call of god the call of god it involves a role and in jeremiah's case He was called to be a prophet. What else do we see about the call of God? It involves a task. Jeremiah was told that he was to, and whatever comes after to is the task, to speak. And there's those verses there where he's got to uproot and tear down and destroy. But then he's also got to plant, build and make strong. It's... So we we had the task that God gave him. Whenever God calls someone, not only does he give them a role, not only does he give give them a, a particular task, but he also gives them a gift, a gift. And when God had told Jeremiah to speak and he said, I can't speak, then God gave him a gift. And remember, we just read there, I have put, I, it says the Lord reached out, touched him, 
and said, now I have put my words in your mouth. He gave him the gift of being able to prophesy, to be able to speak. We see in verse 9. Here's what we might also see as we now go back and ponder through these verses that we've just read. Because I'll tell you now where I'm going to end up. I'm going to end up inviting you to step up into the call of God that he has on your life. Because perhaps for some of you, you are either reluctant to accept it, afraid to accept it, or unwilling to accept it. And for those of us who hopefully have said, here I am, Lord, use me, sometimes we, the next category of people, can often be apprehensive. And I hope today to preach to myself and to you that we can all step up and step out, get our heads out of the bunker and be bold in what God has called us to do. And I mean that despite how young you are or despite how old you are. So here's what we notice about how the call of God is realised in a person. There seems to be a season where we might call it a season of preparation. God is doing something in someone and oftentimes when you're young you can think, this is it, this is what I'll be doing for the rest of my life. And then as the years go by and the benefit of a few years goes by, you begin to see that was never going to be it, but that was what God used to prepare me for what he really wants me to do. So there's a season of preparation. You notice in verse 1 it describes Jeremiah as being the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests. That tells us something about Jeremiah. What tribe would Jeremiah have come from knowing that? The tribe of Levi. What I'm going to show you in a moment is that even the call of God applied to not just people but also tribes not only does that tell us he came from this will test people's bible trivia not only does it tell us that he came from the tribe of levi it actually tells us what clan he was from does anyone know the clan because there was only one clan that could serve as priests that was the tribe that could serve in the temple in the tabernacle but there was a clan all right we'll ponder just hold that question we see jeremiah is is also placed he's placed in a certain time he's placed in a certain location and he's placed with a certain people the call of God involves that has anyone ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon Charles Haddon Spurgeon what a great man what a great preacher I, I, uh, I had to spend the best part of a year researching Charles Spurgeon for a documentary I did on F.W. Boreham because Spurgeon was the pastor of F.W. Boreham and uh, heard young Boreham street preaching at the age of 17 and organised for Boreham to be invited to come into his college on a full scholarship for four years uh, where Spurgeon would personally pay for Boreham's tuition and full board. Um, So I researched Spurgeon to find out what made Boreham who he was and he was an amazing guy (laughs) he was a full-time pastor from the starting at the age of 16 and he spoke with a a really unusual English accent one that I I don't know how 
to do English accents very good. My English is not very good. But he spoke with the kind of accent that said he was uneducated and from the sticks. And yet he went to London. And one of the, one of the, the things that at the age of 19, when he took on a church in, in London, uh, he, was, he was an oddity because he spoke funny. His, 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 his accent was, was strange. He had the kind of accent, as I said, associated with people who weren't academic or bright, but he was very academic and very bright. So his accent was, was odd. But people came to hear him just because they wanted to hear him speak, because they thought this is an odd way of speaking. So that was interesting. And he would preach sometimes for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, they would, they would maybe have one or two songs on the organ and then he would just get up and preach. And there was an occasion at a place called Crystal Palace, which was at the time the world's largest indoor venue, where some 31,000 people came to hear him. At, well, he was at the age of 25, I think, 25 years of age. He had no microphone, no sound system of any kind, no megaphone or anything like that, just his voice. He had to learn how to project his voice to 30,000 people. Anyone ever figured out how to do that without a microphone? He figured out how to do it. And he built a church in London when everyone said the city of London is spiritually dead and he built a church of 18,000 people. So I wanted to know what, what it was. I thought maybe you know, if we, if we preached a, a sermon from Charles Spurgeon's book of sermons, we, we might see 18,000 people gathered today. But if you've ever read one of his sermons, you think... You've got to be joking. People thought these were good. Obviously, it wasn't just the words, but the other thing is he was the right man in the right place at the right time. Transport him into the 21st century, and I could guarantee you he wouldn't work. Same thing with John Wesley. If you've ever read a Wesley sermon, in fact, if you suffer from insomnia, no offence, Judith Brain, whose father was a Methodist minister, but if you suffer from insomnia, read a John Wesley sermon. It'll help you to get to sleep. They, it's, but he was the right man in the right place at the right time. And guess where God has put you? He's put you in this place at this time. Ponder that. Jeremiah was the right man in the right place at the right time, his placement. It says the word of the Lord came to him in the days of. So it tells us where he was and it also tells us when he was. That's a part of the call of God. God has called you for this time. And some of you, I I think of uh, the man who became known as Colonel Sanders. Anyone ever heard of Colonel Sanders? He was 62 years of age when I think he made his first dollar. 62 and someone uh, he, he he showed them that you could fry chicken in a certain way anyone ever heard of his chicken and it was into well into his his senior years that that he began to walk in what we might argue would be God's call on his life placement here's the third thing we see about the call of God on Jeremiah and it applies to us today and it's this practice God, it seems, as I read those opening verses, and, and, and if we were to read on, we would read Jeremiah going, I don't know if I can do this. That's between the lines. I don't know if I can do this. So God says to him, Jeremiah, what do you see? He says, oh, I see an almond tree. And almond, the word almond in Hebrew is, is, is almost a vowel of another word that God then makes a profound point about. 
And all Jeremiah had to do was write that vision out and distribute it and, and he was off. He was off and running. And I see this, this beautiful word practice. Does it, have you ever thought about the difference between the word do and the word practice? Which is a nicer word? If I said to you, I, this is what I want you to do. There is a three metre wall there, jump over it. Do that. <laughs> or if I said to you, there's a three metre wall. There's some ropes hanging just up near the top of it. I want you to practice getting over it. Oh, that sounds much nicer. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that our spiritual walk is developed through practice. And and the beautiful thing about that word practice is it accommodates this other beautiful word, mistakes. Isn't that a relief? That God will allow us to practice. That's why, has anyone ever found a medical doctor who's finally got it? No, they're all still practicing. So we read God saying in a verse that we didn't include in our reading from verse 17. God says to him, dress yourself for work. Jeremiah, get out there and and go. (laughs) Go. Dress yourself for work. So there's three things that all have to do with the call of God on Jeremiah's life. And I think they apply to us today as well. Now, the reason I asked what tribe was Jeremiah from, and many of you were able to go, well, the tribe of Levi, because Levi, out of the tribe of Levi, one of the particular clans were the priestly clan, and they were the ones, the only ones who were allowed to officiate at sacrifices and ceremonies. The other Levites were to assist in the temple, the tabernacle precinct, but they weren't allowed, they weren't priests. They, they weren't of the right clan. So God calls people. And there's no doubt God called Jeremiah. There's no doubt God called Isaiah and Daniel and Micah and Obadiah and Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. He called these people. The first of the prophets, Elijah. They were deaf. They were called. They were clearly called. So God calls people. God rarely calls a committee and he often calls people. God also calls families. In fact, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is told to go to a particular family and declare the lessons of that family to the entire nation of Judah, the, the, what was left of Israel. You might remember that, that God called, I'm just looking, here we go, Yep, chapter 35, that, that we have a family called the Rechabites and Jeremiah is told, go and talk to them. So they go and, and he notices that they, they won't live in buildings, they only live in tents, they won't drink alcohol, they, 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 they have all these particular things about their family. And Jeremiah says, why? Because we as a family have taken a vow that this is how we will live. And of course the prophetic word is, oh Israel, if this family will honour a vow to its forefather, why won't you honour your covenant to me God your father. That was the the lesson in that point. But it shows that there are times when God calls families to particular tasks. Of course, you can see it clearly with David, King David. His family, God said, you will never lack a son to be on the throne of Israel. And of course, that lineage from King David as a family goes right down and stops with who? Jesus, the king of Israel, the rightful king of Israel. And then within this, we see groups of families. 
and they were called clans. And then the clans formed a tribe and then ultimately a nation. That's how we see biblically what, what we see here. Let's put some names to this in Jeremiah's case. Who's the person involved? Well, it's Jeremiah. What's the family? He belonged to the family of Hilkiah. What was his clan? The clan of the Aaronite. Who was Aaron? Moses' brother. Remember, he was the first priest. And only those descended from Aaron, that clan, could be priests. So you will read occasionally in Scripture of the Aaronites. They, they were the only ones authorized to be the priests. So that was his clan. So can you see what's happening here? That, that clan had a call. God had said, I want you in perpetuity to do this. And of course, that covenant ministry stopped with Christ. And then we see that he belonged to the tribe of the Levites. And of course, he was a part of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel itself had a call. And as I was thinking about this, think of uh, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 60 we read this in fact back in the scripture and song days uh, we used to sing arise shine for your light has come anyone hear the song <laughs> arise and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you now the, the the significance of that is that God had called and if you read through the the second half of Isaiah God had called the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations, a light to Gentiles. There was a call on the whole nation to shine the light of God. He was the glorious radiance and they were like a mirror to reflect his light to the world. And they stopped doing it. And so Isaiah says, if you won't do it, God will raise up a people for himself who will. And we are it, by the way, talking of the new covenant church. But here's the interesting thing. When Israel stopped serving God in its call, when it stopped to be a light to the nations, and this happened around about the 6th century BC, about 100 years before for their northern cousins, and around about that time for what was left of them, known as Judah. The moment they stopped fulfilling their call, they were removed from their land. And it wasn't that the light went out. It's that someone else put a false light in its place. You see, around about that time, 600 BC, another religion started called Zoroastrianism. And interestingly, its symbol is fire light and this was the religion of babylon at the time it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to look at that the man by the name of zoroaster was disillusioned with idolatry disillusioned with the pagan practices of child sacrifice and the like and went out and 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 it says that he just began to cry out to the god who created everything and god showed him that he was light and so this man's roaster lit a fire, and with fire he was worshipping the God of light. And he claims, Zoroaster claims, that this God showed him that one day he would send his son to the world, born of a virgin, who would be a young teenage girl, and that he would put a light in the night sky, a light, to show them when it would happen. So when the scriptures say, wise men came from that Babylon area, from the east, because they saw what? The star and they came 
to Jerusalem and said, where is he? It dates back to that time. You could think the Christian church, when it stopped shining its light around 600 AD, you got 600 BC now, 600 AD, when the Christian church stopped caring, when it stopped evangelizing, when it began to accumulate power and wealth and position, its light went out and someone stepped up and replaced it with a false light. Anyone know which religion started around about 600 AD? Islam. And it's interesting that its symbol is the moon. These are not the only calls that God has. The second chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, significantly, it doesn't... Well, let's read it and I'll point out what it doesn't say. We've probably all read this many, many times. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be, what? Called woman. She shall be called woman. I call you to be a woman because she was taken out of man. Now, of course, Adam, which we say is Adam, is the Hebrew word for man. But God called him. That's all we have time for tonight. But you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD, audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Jeremiah Part 190 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, we each have a calling, none the least of which is for us as a church to be a fellowship of peace, healing and wisdom. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.